podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference Plus. BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. College softball season is here. It starts today. Oklahoma and Kansas are in action today. Everyone else gets started with their season on Friday, I am thrilled and excited. I am ecstatic. I am elated. I can't think of any more appropriate word uh, descriptors that begin with E. It's going to be a great season. A great season. And we have a great Big 12 softball preview for you today. The voice of the Sooners, Chris Plank, is going to join us today to preview the Big 12. I don't know anybody who knows Big 12 softball as well as he does. We're going to talk about the entire conference Then I am very excited for the first time to have Baylor softball head coach Glenn Moore on the show to talk about the Bears and their upcoming season. Don't forget, a couple episodes ago, we had UCF head coach Ball Malone on the show for a UCF preview. Go and check that episode out. It is worth a listen. She is fantastic. That team is fantastic. They'll be in the Big 12 next year, but they are a team to keep an eye on this year after hosting a regional last season losing in Supers to Oklahoma. It's going to be a big year. Lots of softball to talk about today. We're going to do as much to cover softball as well as we can. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for the season to get started. Cannot wait. We do have a few things to get to. A congrats to every Big 12 player who was invited to the Combine 52 players from the Big 12 this past season got an invite led by TCU with nine. Oklahoma had seven. Cincinnati with six. Texas with five. Everyone else with four or fewer. But everyone had at least one. Combine, always a good time. Congrats to all of those players getting an opportunity to impress the scouts ahead of the NFL draft. Something to keep an eye on. Look, I have waited to record this intro as long as I can. There's still about four minutes left of this Oklahoma-Baylor game. Baylor currently up 71-66. to I was trying to wait until this was over before we did our power ratings. But I'm going to do it anyways because we got to get them out of the way. So let's do our latest power ratings for the Big 12. Number one is the Texas. They remain atop our power ratings. Why? Because they remain the lone Big 12 team atop the standings. I know they lost to Kansas. That's fine. Texas is still... Four and two on the road in conference play. The only other team with a winning record on the road is Baylor at three and two. Texas has been dang good. The schedule was going to get tougher, and they've continued to play well despite that. Did you also know that Texas is six and zero in games decided by five points or fewer, or in overtime? It's a good Texas team that knows how to finish games. Rodney Terry doing an incredible job. I'm having a hard time not seeing him being named. Big 12 coach of the year. I understand everything Jerome Tang is doing, and I, in any normal circumstances, him or TJ would be the coach of the year. But if Texas finishes atop the Big 12, or at least a tied for it, or hell, tied for second, the situation Rodney Terry got thrown into 
this season, after Chris Beard was fired, I if you want to tell me Jerome Tang should be Big 12 Coach of the Year, fine. I, I really, I'm not going to argue with you. I just think right now Rodney Terry would be my vote. Texas has been incredible. Speaking of Jerome Tang, Kansas State at number two. Look, as of recording this, we have a three-way tie for second, and if Baylor holds on for this lead, which I think they're gonna, famous last words, (laughs) we're gonna have a four-way tie for second place between Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, and Baylor. I got nothing. I just have Kansas State second because I think they're really good. I think this is a good Kansas State team. And I have Iowa State at third, and I give Kansas State a slight edge because I think those two things teams are pretty close. By the way, for Iowa State, uh, Brian Ralph, our good friend from Heat Check College Basketball, put out an, uh, an article this past week, talked about Iowa State and uh, and how important the three ball is for them. Go and read that article. Uh, BRalph33 on Twitter, Heat Check College Basketball. It's good stuff. We're going to have to get him on the show. It's been a while. It's been too long. We are going to have to rectify that issue. Uh, Baylor at number four for us. I, I, look, I've spent a lot of time researching this each week, and at this point I'm sitting here going, uh, there's a four-way tie for second place. How do you how do you stack Kansas State, Iowa State, Baylor, and Kansas other than just like 2A, B, C, D? 2A-1112, 2A-1113. I, I don't know how to discern between these four teams they all are very different they have strengths and weaknesses i put kansas at fifth just because look the the whatever <laughs> texas was crazy because jalen wilson didn't even have a good game and and they still won frankly comfortably so kansas can be it's just i'm not gonna buy too much into one game from them i just i don't know how to discern these four teams number six I give the edge to TCU because I know what TCU can be when they have Mike Miles and a healthy Eddie Lampkin. But they're currently on a two-game losing streak and have lost three of four. Mike Miles got hurt in early in the game against Mississippi State. They've gotten three and four since then. Their one win was a close home win over a good West Virginia team. It's a good West Virginia team. I know Eddie Lampkin is back. Still not 100%. They need Mike Miles back bad. TCU's at six and five. They're at, to me, they're out of the running. I know they're just a game back from all those teams tied at second, but TCU's next two games, starting Saturday, are home versus Baylor at Iowa State. They need Mike Miles back bad because I'm having a hard time picking TCU to win in those games, despite how good teams are at home without Mike Miles back. Damn, it seems like a long time ago since TCU blew out Kansas on the road and then blew out Oklahoma at home, but here we are, just two weeks later. Number seven. I'm going back and forth here between West Virginia and Oklahoma State, and I'm going to keep West Virginia ahead of Oklahoma State. I would have moved OSU up a spot, but then they lost Avery Anderson for the season, and I know that they didn't have him against TCU and got the win, and I know they didn't have him against Texas Tech and got the win, but without Avery Anderson, OSU is not the same team. And so I give West Virginia the slight edge over Oklahoma State here. I think both teams have a shot to make the NCAA tournament, which would give the Big 12 eight teams in the tournament for the first time ever. Number nine is Oklahoma because they're not as bad as Texas Tech, and Texas Tech is last because they're 1-10 in, in conference play and 12-12 12 and 12 overall. Still no teams with a record under 500. How you like them apples? No other conference. 
can say that. The ACC has many, many. Boston College, Florida State, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Louisville, all sub-500 records. The Big East, Butler, DePaul, Georgetown, and Villanova. And some of these aren't even, like, close. Louisville's 3-21, Georgia Tech's 9-15, Florida State's 8-17. In the Big East, Georgetown is 6-19, DePaul is 9-15. In the Big Ten, has Nebraska, Ohio State, and Minnesota. All sub-500, Minnesota is 7-15. The Pac-12 has 9-15, Oregon State, 3-20, Cal, 10-13, Stanford, 10-15, Washington State. Let's go to the SEC. 8-16 South Carolina, 10-14 Ole Miss, 12-12 Vanderbilt. So only two sub-500. doesn't matter. The Big 12's worst team is this far into conference play and has just now hit 500. I was on Cocaine Willie's show, their Spotify live show. We're talking about UCF, Texas Tech. Texas Tech would have a... Texas Tech in the AAC is going to the NCAA tournament. Big 12's gnarly. <laughs> it's just... It's stupid good. The Big 12 in men's basketball is what the SEC thinks it is in football. I'm not the first person to say that line. I don't care. We're going to adopt it. It's wonderful. It's great. It's fantastic. I love it. You know what else I love? Homefield Apparel. Because Homefield Apparel puts out the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever find. And folks, college basketball season, we're getting closer to March Madness. You're going to need some new gear to cheer your team on, most of you. In March Madness, Oklahoma fans like you to find. You can bail on men's basketball. Softball season's here. Go get some new gear to wear to promote your incredible softball team that's probably going to go for a three-peat. Let's just be honest here. Like, maybe not. They probably will. We'll talk about that with Chris Plank a little bit. Just how good this team's going to be. Texas Tech baseball season is next week. I know y'all love college baseball. I know how big of fans you are of college baseball. So go to Homefield Apparel. Use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, and get 15% off your first purchase. They've got every Big 12 school, current and future, currently available, with fantastic lines. Just just go look. If you haven't looked yet, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't wear t-shirts, sweaters, or hoodies. I only wear button-ups. I mean, at some point, they'll probably add those, too. Home Build Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. Be rocking it. This college basketball, softball, or baseball season. Don't forget promo code NETWORK12 for 15% off your first purchase. Chris Plank, Baylor softball head coach Glenn Moore, both on the show today. Both fantastic guests. I hope you love college softball as much as I do. And if you don't yet, give it a shot. I think you're going to like it. Let's get to it. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva La Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscious, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at Pod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. Softball season is 
here and as part of our big softball preview, I needed to get on a head coach from the Big 12. I'm very excited for the very first time to be welcoming Baylor softball head coach Glenn Moore to the show. Coach Moore, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. You have had a lot of success in your time at the University of Baylor. A certain level of, of kind of expectation that you guys have there in Waco for for what we should expect from the softball program. I kind of want to start with a look at, at last year. I mean, I, it, kind of a disappointing season. First time since 2010 that, that Baylor didn't make it to the NCAA tournament. I mean, just second time in your tenure there. How much do you credit that to just being how young this roster really was? Because you guys had one of the youngest rosters in the country last year. Yeah. Um, well, I love talking about this because externally it did seem to most people that look at the uh, statistical categories, wins and losses predominantly as it being a, um, a disappointing season. But um, to be quite honest with you, it was anything but that. Um there were times during the year that it was disappointing, but we were, as you said, the youngest team I've ever had. So we had a lot of uh, things to overcome then, and we had moments that we looked really young, and then we had moments that we showed great potential and competed against some some uh, great teams. And uh, I also think that our, our strength of schedule was probably a little better than we were given credit for. When you look at the top three finishers in the World Series, nine of our 20 three or 24 losses were against those three teams. So I'm not sure we got the credit for that, that schedule that, uh, that we played. Although we lost some games that were really, uh, that really hurt us when it came to, uh, you know, probably the committee's decision on whether or not we deserve to be an NCAA team or not. So I certainly don't blame them. I certainly understand that. But when everything in retrospect, you look back at the losses, the quality losses we had, I think probably um, our schedule was a little stronger. It grew us into a, a team that um, I think uh, uh, matured a lot from that. And uh, like you said earlier, the youth, the youth that we had on that team, uh, we were mostly sophomores and freshmen. We had uh, a couple of, we had two seniors playing the same position at first base. And then we had um, Josie Bauer, who is our only senior this year. We're still young, uh, sophomores and juniors, but more experienced. Uh, uh, was really our only junior that contributed a whole lot last year. So um, I think the team grew from that season. Uh, we had enough uh, great games, you know, the, the one run lead against Oklahoma going into the seventh inning with uh, well, with two outs in the seventh inning and nobody on base. And we found a way to lose that one as young teams do. And then, uh, and then beating Texas really bad in uh, game two of that series, we had moments of brilliance uh, um, to show that we are capable of being a pretty good team. Yeah, there were definitely some highlights. I mean, that I, I watched most of that win over Oregon. and thought that was a fan, fantastic game. Um, you had a lot of close calls. You mentioned the game against Oklahoma. You had a, a, an 0-2 loss to Oklahoma State. You had plenty of, it felt like opportunities, and it did seem like the youth kind of showed at yeah. the times last season. Where have you seen the most growth on this roster from, from the end of last year to now? Well, I think the, uh, uh, I think going through those storms, um, it will grow you. You'll either give up, cash in, or you'll keep fighting. And I think our decision to go play in the NISC tournament was a big one for us. It was a high-risk uh, decision. We knew that going in, and uh, we were able to get in 
11 more practices and, and four more competitions and finished on a winning note with a, a, you know, an idea that we could, you know, still hit the long ball. I think we had eight home runs in, in the last four games and, and, uh, played really, really well with a, a depleted roster, if you will, a lot of injuries and, and a lot of injuries played a role in, in uh, where we were and why we were so young. So um, I think the growth uh, started there and over the off season that kind of catapulted us into having a great fall. And uh, we brought in some, some new faces that are making a big difference in this year's team. So expectations are certainly higher. Uh, that the NISC was the National Invitational Softball Championship. I think a good comp for those who don't know, kind of kind of like the NIT or softball version of the NIT, uh, which you know you uh, you talked with former uh, or I guess sorry for former current Baylor men's basketball coach Scott Drew um, to kind of get some of his advice uh, regarding that NISC trip. What what was what did he kind of tell you about how that that could impact this team? Yeah, we talk, actually, I I talked with quite a few coaches that had been a part of it and um, got some mixed feelings about it. Some of the uh, coaches didn't feel that their teams really wanted to be there. And our team really wanted, they, they enjoyed playing with a, each other. And we were having a lot of uh, a lot of fun, which is a great motivator and just really wasn't a desire to let the, the season end right there. So um, taking that, uh, and putting that into the uh, equation with what Coach Drew said, I think really helped us make our decision. And of course, he won the NIT National uh, Basketball Tournament, Invitational Tournament, eight years ago and, and won the NCAA Tournament a couple of years ago. And uh, he really felt that that catapulted his program at the time. But his advice to us was, you know, the, if the girls are bought into it, uh, you get to play. And uh, there's still a a, a group of athletes out there that love the game and love competition. And we fortunately had those on our roster last year that enjoyed playing. They weren't ready to uh, cash in. Obviously it was, um, you know, if your expectations are to go to the NCAAs every year, that's where our, ours are and they should be power five school, I think should always be there. But um, if, if they're there, then there's going to be a, you have to swallow your pride a little bit. Um, but they wanted to play, and we just kind of put things behind us and and said, "Hey, let's get better. Let's go enjoy playing together. Uh, this is not a a trip that we're just going out to to go to Disney World. We're going out to try to win this thing and get better." We worked as hard in those eleven practices as we worked all year, probably harder in some instances. It was weather had already temperatures were up. We sweated a lot more, um, but we got better. It's kind of like a football team playing in a bowl game. They get better because they get to practice more. We took advantage of that and uh, have certainly seen the uh, dividends of that uh, in in the uh, off season and in the fall. One of the usual benefits of a young roster is that means you should have a lot of experience returning this season. It seems like you do for your top four uh, RBI getters. Five of your top six are back with Bauer, Wilson, Benford, uh, Watson uh, being the, the top four among them. I mean, Looking at this roster and, and how much you bring back, where do you think the strengths of it really are? I think our greatest improvement from last year to this year is on defense, especially up the middle. Our middle infield uh, transfers, uh, Presley Pylon and and uh, Amber Tobin, and then uh, at first base, uh, Shailen Govan will add great power 
you know, we've tried to make the transition slowly because of the rules changing in the game and the game evolving. I'm a little hard headed. I love the short game. I love the, uh, the speed game, um, slapping and all that. But some of that has been because of rules has been, um, squelched a little bit in our game. You don't see near about as much of it sad to me, but the game's evolving and, and we've been a little slower to be able to evolve into the more of the power uh, lineup. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that in this year's lineup for us. And especially in the middle of the order, we still have a good bit of speed as well, but uh, defensively we needed to make some big improvements. We have made those offensively. We're going to be better. And uh, we have a freshman pitcher that's going to be really good to add with what we already had returning. Uh, that's Riley Crandall. And uh, she, we, we have big expectations for her. She's got some special stuff and um, Coach Newman will do a great job of developing her. So we have some areas that we're excited about. Will we be, you know, a top 10 team? Uh, no, but uh, we're going to be certainly a competitive team. It's very scrappy and, again, a team that goes out and, Hopefully we don't beat ourselves a whole lot uh, like we did last year. We did that, um, as I said, as a young team would uh, often do. We did that, and uh, hopefully this year we'll not do that as often and we'll make teams work hard to beat us. You mentioned pitching. We can we can start there. Obviously the name to know, uh, Aaliyah Benford, she was incredible through the postseason um, and kind of got thrust into a starting spot due to Dariana Orme's injury. From what I had seen, and you correct me if I'm if this has changed, she's not expected to be 100% by the start of this year. So kind of help break down your your pitching staff for me right now. What what, what do we expect for, for the start of this year? Yeah, uh, Daria's uh, really come on a lot faster than I thought she would. She's um, yeah, I don't expect her to be 100%, but she's got some good stuff, and you'll see her quite a bit, probably more than I anticipated this first weekend. Um, so, you know, she's just a hard thrower. She uh, throws harder than anybody we've ever had, has hit 74 several times, um, certainly stays around the 70-mile-an-hour uh, mark, and, and that's a lot of wear and tear on the arm. And we had to use her a whole lot last year. So this year I'm hoping we have more arms in the bullpen that will go longer distances and we will be able to manage her better than we were able to last year. Um, you mentioned Aaliyah Benford. Aaliyah is uh, as talented as anybody we've ever had in our program on both sides of the plate and uh, also plays you know, great defense. You'll see her at third base when she's not pitching a lot this year. Swings the bat really well, but she can beat big lineups. She's got um, – the speed at 67, 68 miles an hour, plus she throws an undetectable change up or it's just a, just a great, uh, she's got great movement. Um, got to mature a little bit in the circle because that hasn't been a priority for her, but now we're making it a priority and we'll see how that happens. I think if she's really bought into that and really builds her confidence there, uh, she can give us a chance against some, some big lineups for sure. Certainly with the, using her, um, even as a, a reliever type um, to Dari with the changes of speeds. Um, I mentioned Riley Crandall, New Mexico uh, Gatorade Player of the Year, played for the Texas Glories, just got some really good stuff. She's a great competitor, um, great off speed, and obviously everybody takes their bumps and bruises early on in their career, but you'll you'll know her name well before she's done here. And 
Then we have uh, Casey West as kind of a utility player, can do it all, but uh, adds the, the depth in our bullpen that we need. And and the newcomer in Ava Knoll um, to uh, um, kind of buy some innings, innings for us and save some pitches for the other three and four. It really feels like you want to have that one dominant pitcher, as you see, you know, teams that make deep runs have. But but to get through a season, I, I think to Oklahoma State through the back half last year, you really want to have three arms you feel confident in. You want you want your star, but you need a couple more to really provide relief in games to to help make a deep run. And it does feel like you guys have what probably the deep, far deeper than last year, I would argue, but a, a really deep pitching st- uh, collection here for the season. Yeah, we're, you know, we're still an equivalency sport at a private school of 70 grand a year. So you're not going to have 11 pitchers like baseball with you. You're not going to be able to afford that many. So I, I think this is probably where we'll be. But you're starting to see more and more softball teams look like baseball teams, um, you know, especially with the different ways we have uh, that they have out there to uh, fund um, their uh, their lineup. So you're going to see, you know, six, seven, eight pitchers in on squads in the future. Um, whereas in the past, in 2007, our first run to the World Series here was um, we had three pitchers through two of them. Um, you did have an ace. You didn't really want to go to your number two until somebody beat you and put you in the loser's bracket. So you'd see those um, Moats and those that uh, just stayed on in the circle and pitched, uh, you know, four or five hundred pitches in a in a series you know uh, maybe a little little high there in a weekend series but in the world series i'm thinking uh moad back in two, 2007 through around 800 pitches so you won't see that in the future i don't think as often because there's a lot more pitchers out there nowadays and uh bullpens are being built to uh be able to use those middle relievers and closers Looking at the schedule that you've put together, uh, nine teams from last year's tournament on that schedule, 18 games. You include a rematch against UNLV, who you beat in that NISC. You get a, a non-conference game against Oklahoma. Uh, you get Tennessee on the schedule in the non-conference as well. Uh, Three-game kind of Big 12 future preview with Houston. Then, of course, the, the conference slate that includes Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State, as well as as Iowa State, Texas Tech, and Kansas. I mean, what's kind of your philosophy when putting together a non-conference schedule for for this team? You know, my philosophy has always been to uh, try to match it with the talent I have and give our team the best opportunity to have a good seed, hopefully host, uh, get a shot at hosting in the NCAAs and, and just pave that path as, as, as nice as possible to the World Series. So, uh, we have the best chance. Uh, you know, a lot of people schedule soft and pad stats early on, and um, I'm way beyond that in my career. I like competition, and I think uh, you have to play better to get better, and uh, that's kind of what I look at. You need, you never know who you're going to play in some of these tournaments, so you know you just got to make sure if you get those uh, real low RPI teams in those tournaments that you don't lose those games we lost one or two of those last year that really hurt us too and um, with the NCAs um, you just got to make sure you take care of business when those pop up in tournaments but uh, you know we're going to go out after teams that make us better and you just mentioned them we have a lot of them before we even get to conference that will be the second year road play Oklahoma non-conference last year's in Hawaii and this year they're coming to our tournament um you know, they make us better. They they let you know where you are and what you have to work on. And 
and there's no um, false information there when you're playing Arkansas the first weekend and, and uh, Oklahoma the second and going to Tennessee twice. Uh, UL Lafayette's coming in here and you know so we're going to always uh, try to match up our our season uh, with teams that are plenty of teams that are a little bit better than what we think we are and know where we have to uh, be or get with our team to be the best we can be in postseason and you know, before that, you want to challenge for Big 12 uh, championships. Do well, seed yourself in the Big 12 tournament. So uh, not to get the cart ahead of the horse. We just want to get this team better, and you don't get better by playing teams you're better than all the time. No, I agree. I, I'm looking forward to this uh, this schedule you've got. I, I missed Louisiana game. That should be a lot of fun. That's a, that is a very fun softball program to keep an eye on. <laughs> I just want to talk to you about the Big 12 just for a second. Obviously, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas. I mean, Oklahoma, Texas in the national championship game. Oklahoma State basically one of the last three teams remaining at the end of last season. It doesn't feel like the Big 12 gets the credit it probably deserves for how difficult it is in this conference when you're facing off against those three programs as well as Iowa State and the job that Jamie Pinkerton does up there in Ames, the job that you do here in Waco. I know Texas Tech with a new head coach again, they're going to go into some shifting in Kansas, still kind of building up that program there. But, it, you know, the SEC likes to complain when they don't get every single team into the postseason. Meanwhile, the Big 12 last year, just three teams in the NCAA tournament. I just it doesn't feel to me like the Big Twelve gets the the respect in college softball that it deserves. I'm kind of I'm curious your views on the conference as a whole. Well, I've felt that ever since I've been here, I've never felt we've been at, we've gotten the respect. I, you know, and hats off to the SEC. They invest a whole lot into their athletics and all their sports, and and because of that, they're going to and they support it. Uh, fans support it at a big uh, at a, a a big amount. So. Um, I certainly don't want to minimize the impact the, the impact the SEC has on softball as a whole, but I think you're absolutely right. right. And every year it tends to show up that uh, you know the Big Twelve does really well in postseason compared to uh, the other conferences, many of the other conferences. So um, you know it's it's been a little frustrating. I I don't understand. I don't know that anyone really understands RPI and completely how it works. It's a complicated formula, but, uh, you know, we just know that we need to have strong strength of schedule and then we um, need to win certain games with certain RPIs and can't lose the others. But uh, outside of that, it's just kind of a little bit of a mystery where it starts, who gets the first nod at uh, how do you determine strength of schedule right away, you know? So, um, I think you're right. I, I appreciate you recognizing that. Uh, I think we're going to be pretty strong as a conference this year, and hopefully the tide will start turning. Um, the SEC's good. The Big Ten's good. The ACC, uh, you know, all the Power Five schools. And then you got a lot of mid-majors that are really good programs as well. It's a great day for softball in this country. Um, it's grown to a high level. Um, but I'm certainly, uh, you know, in the belief that uh, the Big 12 doesn't get overall the respect that it deserves. But, hey, we have an opportunity to go out every year and uh, compete against those teams and uh, try to show the committees that uh, we deserve to be there. I do expect a bounce back here for the Big 12. I, I can't see just three teams getting into the postseason again. Uh, I, I do want to ask about the future of the Big 12. Obviously, this summer, four new programs will be – four new schools will be joining the conference from a softball standpoint. I believe it's just three new schools with, with Houston, UCF, and BYU adding softball. 
obviously UCF hosting a regional last year, getting to supers uh, against Oklahoma where they fell. That is a program that feels like it's on the rise. I'm curious, just your thoughts about the three programs coming into the Big 12 and, and how they will help kind of boost this conference's reputation. Yeah, we're very excited about those three schools coming in and what they can bring to our conference, all three coming from large markets that, uh, you know, will help those schools grow being in our conference as well. Those programs grow, um, you know, all three have been very competitive in the past. Um, UCF is an outstanding program. Um, I believe they have maybe the top ranked player in the country right now. And, um, you know, BYU, uh, Coach Eakins do, does an outstanding job out there. And, um, you know, it's just going to be a, it's, it's going to be nice, especially this first year, whenever uh, the next two years, whenever, uh, you know, Texas, Oklahoma still in it, it's going to be a great conference. So we're excited to, uh, to see what happens there. But um, I think it's going to be, uh, those markets are going to help our footprint and recruiting a little bit more uh, as well. We'll probably dip into Florida a little bit more and, maybe out West a little bit more as well. So I think you'll see our conference conference expand. I'm a, I'm not disappointed at all in the schools we added for our sport. I, I know all the focus is on football, but I really do believe the three program, four schools total that have been added really right. do bolster the big 12 across multiple sports, including softball and, and baseball and among others. Coach Moore, you have been fantastic. I really do appreciate your time today. Uh, Season starts this weekend. You guys ready to go? Just the just amped and pumped and ready to finish practice and finally take the mound for the first time. We really are. We we uh we, the weather's been a little wet here lately, and we're ready to get out to uh, Vegas and enjoy some dry weather and play some softball and see where we are and and uh, get better. Well, again, your first game is uh, you've got two on Friday. One against Southern Utah. One against Weber State at the UNLV tournament. Uh, Coach Moore, I just want to say good luck to your team this season. Uh, we will obviously be rooting for you and, and hope to see uh, hope to see you in the NCAA tournaments potentially hosting uh, come this spring. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Do you love the Big 12 Conference? Do you love college basketball? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. So come on over to the Midwest Madness Podcast, powered by the 1012 Network, where I, Robbie Triano of SiriusXM, talk all things men's basketball in the Big 12 Conference. Whether it's breaking down the biggest games, interviews with some of the best people covering the league, or discussing which teams will make the big dance, make the Midwest Madness Podcast your bi-weekly listen. Because the best way to prepare for March Madness is to listen to the Midwest Madness. It's here, the start of the college softball season is this week and we cannot start the year without bringing this guy on third year in a row at least it may be four i I don't remember how far back we've been doing this always thrilled (laughs) to have chris blank come on and preview some big 12 softball chris welcome back to the 10 12 thanks for having us uh having me i guess when i say us i'm thinking about the the entire conference but when i say us i also mean thanks for talking about the sport right i mean 10 12 could easily focus on nothing but hoops and football but I appreciate the broad vision, man. It's uh, it's really cool to have a resource like y'all. And look, our, our goal is every year, or at least last year, this year, is just keep talking about softball, uh, keep pounding the sand till, uh, till more people start paying attention because I think this is a, a fantastic league. I mean, look, <laughs> the last three teams alive last season were all from the Big 12. 
Uh, right. Like, how, how can you not see that and be excited and be excited about what's coming in with UCF, especially like that's we keep talking about how insane and crazy the 2023 Big 12 football season is going to be 2024 softball with UCF in the mix and, and, and seeing what the rest of the conference and the newcomers can do. I just think that whole all of next year, if it is just the one off 14 mm-hmm. team season, like we kind of think it will be. I mean, every sport sports can be awesome, but softball right there with with UCF in the mix with OU Texas and OSU, oh, wow. Yeah, and BYU is no slouch. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a good program. Now they've they've always played a really tough schedule, but most people in softball do. Um, I I don't know if if we're gonna get that. You know, I I hope so because I love this conference and I have all my places I like to go in Ames and I have my places I like to go in Lawrence. But you know, we'll see how the the powers that be at say Fox and, and ESPN and the big 12 can all come together and try to give us another year of a, of a 14 team big 12. But I'll tell you what I'm uh, in the short term this season. I feel like it's one of the most disrespected conferences for softball. And I know it's only seven teams, but you know, when we sit here today and we're talking about five of the seven teams that should put themselves or be in position where they can play in the postseason. Uh, and that's not to disrespect, you know, any program in this league and say, well, you don't have a chance, but there's some rebuilding projects that are underway in this league right now. So I'm a, gosh, this is as good as it gets in softball. And, you know, it's just going to get better. Yeah. We, we've talked about this before and I've talked about this with anybody who comes on for the most part. Like I understand that not all conferences are made equal and that's fine, but People want to complain about biases in football and biases in men's basketball, folks. There are biases mm-hmm. in every single sport. When when the last place team in the SEC with a losing conference record is complaining because they didn't get in, and the Big Twelve can only get three teams in yeah. the field, like you understand the problems that exist in every sport when you're having to deal with this kind of nonsense of South Carolina being. But we won four games this year. They should just let That's us right. in because the SEC on the jersey. Yeah, you got to win games at some point. You know, we're we're dealing with that. I think a lot. You know, even thinking about hoops, Philip and you know, teams that, you know, play in this conference and how challenging it is, you know, you talk to the Joe Lenardi's and the Jerry Palms of the world and, you know, it's like, yeah, all the metrics look great and it's amazing what you're playing in. But at some point for Oklahoma and Texas Tech, you know, that are kind of on, well, both on the outside looking in, you got to win games. And that, that relays to softball too. That was a very frustrating thing for me last year because, you know, I I think we could have made a, a little bit of a better case for some teams and what, the power, the true power conferences, if you will, um, that are complaining about it. So I'm, I, I feel like this is one of the most disrespected leagues consistently. But you know what Oklahoma has done now since you know Patty Gasso won a championship in 2020 uh, to see how it's recovered from losing softball powers at the time of Nebraska and, and Texas A&M, and to see what you know Oklahoma State has done with its commitment to the sport to see the commitment that's been made in Waco consistently to see, you know, how you've got a Texas team that, again, I know the future for OU and Texas isn't in the big 12, but when they went out and hired Mike White, Phil, that's a swing for the fences. So you're seeing a lot of programs that have really committed a lot of resources to this sport. And uh, I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. I think it's the, I think it's a, it's a sport that's growing and it's going to be really good at the big 12 in the future. 
You mentioned Waco. Let's let's start with a talk of Baylor. We'll, we'll talk OU and OSU in Texas and, and maybe a little UCF here in a minute. But I want to talk about Baylor. Baylor was a very, mm-hmm. very young team last season. Uh, still able, 6-12 and 12 in conference play, 32-24 and 24 overall. They had some really bright moments in the year. They had a few down moments as well, which is what you'd expect from a a freshman, sophomore heavy right. team. This is an this is a team that's a year older. I think that they, while underachieved, were still pretty solid last year. Preseason pick number fourth, which you know in the Big Twelve, when there's only seven teams, you play everybody. It's hard when Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas are in the conference for to to find wins if you can't knock them off. So looking at a Baylor squad this year, I mean, how big of a step forward do you expect this team to make as all these players are now a year older with another year of experience under the belt? And they're they're still a young team. You know, we had we had Glenn Moore talking to him for our. Big 12 preview show on, on, on Sirius XM. And, you know, they're still incredibly young, which <laughs> is wild to think with all the youth that they had. But, you know, I was just, I was going through my notes on them. And I think it all kind of starts with, with Leah Benford, right. And, and what she can be and what she will be uh, for Baylor. They need a little bit, they need a little bit more depth pitching wise, you know, last year, they kind of, they kind of ran of, they, they ran into pitching depth issues. They've had injury issues. I would, I would almost argue, you know, what we what we saw with the 49ers at their quarterback position injury-wise in the NFL, that's kind of what you've been seeing at Baylor over the last couple of seasons, right? You feel like every single time you look up, there's another player that's that's gone down for them. So um I think I think they're very talented. I think that they're an NCAA tournament team this year. Um Glenn Moore is a heck of a coach. His his path has been incredible. Um Brittany Newman, their pitching coach, has been with them for like 20 years. So they've had consistency there. Uh, it's a really cool environment when they get cooking in Waco. And I just, you know, Aliyah Benford, she's she's one of the stars for this team. They've got a really talented outfield that's fast and can make plays. So um, I think they're a good team. I really do. And I think that they, if they can stay healthy, they're going to be a problem this season. I Right now, I, I mean, I kind of have them pegged as maybe even the third best team in the league but we'll see they, they need a lot of youngsters to step up i mean they've got some talented youngsters uh, you look at the big 12 uh casey west and taylor strain both making the freshman team uh, you mentioned Leah ben for mckenzie wilson the outfielder mckenzie the wilson first yeah. teamer for baylor so i mean you throw in uh, dariana orme who i thought was was good last year and, and you've got five players with a lot of expectations for baylor squad that i i do expect a better year from this year i mean the Big 12 got three teams in the postseason last year, and I, I thought that was a disservice to the conference. Part of that being – They got three teams, and all three of them were in the cha- – were, well, two of them were in the championship series, and one of them was in the final four. Yeah. Give us more teams. <laughs> like, like, give the Big 12 a little bit of credit from the bottom. If you're going to have to play that, yeah. those teams, like, it's going to be hard to come by wins. It just – it is. We're playing with everybody. Um, I feel like this is a bounce back year where Baylor finds themselves in the postseason. The team that I think kind of disappointed me the most last year was Iowa State. That's a team I've expected to make most years – Coach Pinkerton does a really good job there in Ames, and they just they couldn't quite seem to get it figured out. What what do you think about Iowa State, and and what are realistic expectations from them this year? Well, there to me, when I'm talking about the postseason, and I talk about the five teams that I think should be in the postseason, Iowa State's in that mix for me, right? I think I think Kansas and Tech now, Tech made a home run hire um, with their head coach position, and I think Kansas is in the process of getting better, but you know, Jamie's. Jamie's a great coach. I mean, he really, truly is. And, you know, if you follow his career path, he's been 
a part of reclamation projects. And, you know, there's a point where it breaks through. Look at what he did at Montana, Look what he did at the University of Tulsa. Um, I know things didn't necessarily go so well for him at Arkansas, but it's not like they were terrible. You know, they were still a good team. So, you know, I, again, this, I'm going to sound like a broken record with a lot of these squads, but I think it comes down to pitching depth, you know, in a time where, where you're looking at more staffs than you ever have before. And, you know, at a three game set, you want to have two arms and maybe, you know, if you can, if you can have a Haley Dulcini, and I know that she's graduated and she's off now that can magically, you know, find a, find a change up between a, a Friday, a Thursday game and a Saturday game, you know, that that's few and far between or a, a different pitch that they can throw in. So um, I just, I think Iowa State has all the tools to be a contender. Uh, and by that, you know, I, are, are they going to beat Oklahoma? Um, are they going to beat Oklahoma State? Are they going to finish higher than Texas? Probably not. But if you look at the last couple of years, they'll get they'll get a win over Oklahoma State. They'll get a win over Texas. You know, they'll find a way to to get a dub here or there. Or if they don't beat Texas, I mean, they scared the hell out of them last year uh, in the Friday night game of that series. So to me, it's for Iowa State, it's pitching depth and taking that next step. You know, again, you're talking about a, a, a young crew that is starting to see a few veterans, right, that have been in the Jamie Pinkerton program for a while that understand what he wants. And, you know, I know that it's it's hard in the portal at Iowa State, and that's a place where you can get plucked quite a bit. But I'm a pitching depth and consistency. Take those every now and then again. Oh, wow, they beat Oklahoma State on a Friday night. Well, don't get run ruled the next right night, right? Take that momentum and carry it over and get some dubs. And um, I'm, the, I'm the biggest Jamie Pinkerton fan you're going to find. I think he's going to do well this year. I've got Iowa State as my fifth team that can make the postseason out of this league right now. I I just I feel like the Big Twelve is good enough to get five teams in each year, and they should. Uh, and obviously, again, some of that can be disrespect towards the conference, but right, like the Big Twelve is good enough. And if the top teams are that good, like why I don't understand why the Big Twelve doesn't get the twi- the the kind of the, the trickle down and benefits of having an Oklahoma, Texas, and Oklahoma State on it that say like the SEC does when they've got their teams or the Pac-12 does where, look, I, no, they may not have amazing, glorious records, but like you're playing against those right. three teams. Like, can we get a little bit of respect if they are competitive in those games or snag a win or like that does, it should go to show you more about the depth of the Big 12 as much as it does other conferences. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were, I was just, I was sitting down, you we're talking about an Iowa state team that I think deserves a shot and they might have the most dangerous hitter in this league in Michaela Ramos. You know, this is, it's, it shows you that on any given night you can get got by any one of these teams. But I think that's going to be, it's going to be interesting, you know, just a couple of names on Iowa state, you know, see how Ellie Spellhog, how she continues to develop this year. She, she struggled with her consistency in the, in the circle, uh, say Swain was brought a little attitude to the circle for Iowa State too. So I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that it's five teams this year in the postseason. But you know, you're gonna have to win some games. You know, if we take it full circle to our conversation. You can't just say, "Oh, we play in a conference with OU and OSU, and those are you know two of the top five teams this year in Texas, the top ten team." No, you got to go out and win some of those games, and I fully expect Iowa State to be able to do that. Obviously, Texas Tech with a new head coach and Craig Snyder, uh, former Texas A&M pitching coach, uh, Kansas with coach McFalls, we've had on the show before. The two teams, everyone kind of has picked towards the bottom of the conference. If, if 
if one of these two teams were to surprise us and, and maybe go on a bit of a run and find themselves finishing in that top half or top five or then getting to the postseason, which one do you think has the edge here between the Raiders and the Jayhawks? You know, I think uh, in, in the hiring of Snyder, that's a home run hire for Texas Tech considering what has been, I mean, I thought Adrian Gregory was going to be the head coach there for, for 20 years and have a dominant run. And I think what she's the associate head or was the associate head coach down at A&M. And I don't, I don't know if she's still around. I haven't dug into the Aggies too terribly much, but um, when that went down and she had a solid staff, man, you go back and you look at Adrian Gregory's staff that she had. I I know um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that were around that program. And at that time, Texas tech was having, you know, not just a softball issue, but women's basketball too, where there were some athletes that, you know, had their voices heard and got coaches ousted. And, and there was other things within the program too, uh, within the the athletic department that were, were kind of interesting during that time as well. Um, nothing negative about Texas Tech, but just they made the decision that it was time to move on. That really set them back. And then you have the exact same thing happen essentially this offseason. So to me at Tech, Coach Snyder's got a little bit more work to do. Now he's going to do a great job and they're going to get people to come out there and play for them because this is a dude that knows what it takes to, to win rings. This is a guy that understands how to, to build a program. All that disclaimer to say, if there's a team out of that group that can't surprise, I really think it's Kansas. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you talked to Jennifer McFalls. I think she's an absolute rock star. Um, I, I think we're blessed in this league with seven really good coaches. Um, and, and even before, you know, Tech had to make a change. They had a really good coach last year. Um, but, you know, in Olivia Bruno, you got a player for Kansas. Um, and I just I, – I think if there is a team that could surprise out of this league – and some would say, you know, Baylor might end up being a surprise if they're knocking on the door of the top three. Um, but I, I would say right now that – of those two that you give me, Kansas is the one that I think has a chance to really be a difference maker this year. Uphill climb. I was, just, I was trying to look at their schedule real quick, but they're uh, they're not messing around, you know, schedule wise as Kansas. But Jennifer's she's given them as as challenging of a schedule as you can have, especially you know early going out to the the Candrea Classic and playing uh, Arizona and a pretty good North Carolina State team. They've got Ole Miss early this year. You know they're going to play. Um, uh, they're going to play Stanford. So they've got a tough schedule early on for Kansas, but I think they're a team that could, if you're giving me the choice between tech and Kansas, they can make a run. Yeah. Look, I think it's important to schedule your, to, to schedule tough. And I think it's important to prepare your team. Um, it's this sport, man. Yeah. And, and look, there's, it's not hard to schedule well. And look, you want a good few games to win. And in the big 12, that's important, but I don't you know. Hosting Stanford for two games in Lawrence, that's a big opportunity. I think it's a good. Hey, and, and keep an eye on that tournament going forward, Phil. Not not to interrupt yeah. you, but you know, you're think I think a lot about the future, and you know, Oklahoma and Texas eventually leaving. But in some of these series that they're like, Oklahoma's going to wake up. They're playing tech. They're playing Baylor twice this year. Um, I'll actually four times, I guess you would say, because of three game set and the trip. But I think the future for teams like Kansas and teams like Baylor is they'll continue playing the Oklahomas of the world because Oklahoma will go to these tournaments. It's a, it's an inexpensive trip which helps out, you know, in, in, in your RPI and, and things of that nature. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because these are the types of tournaments that I think are going to be continuing and be, be crucial towards that with Oklahoma still to its big 12 brethren, even when they move on. 
Yeah, we, we talk about whether teams will face each other in football, you know, that, that stuff. Schedules they will are, in softball. But softball, I think softball, basketball, especially the Olympic sports, you're going to see these teams play each other because the relationships Absolutely. are where they're there. The proximity is there. It makes a lot of sense. Fan, but you, you get fans to show up because you've got a name that you all know and enjoy seeing on the schedule pop up. And so that's, that's a big deal. Uh, look, Oklahoma is the favorite for good reason. Uh, every preseason big 12 teams got like 20 Oklahoma, like the entire Oklahoma roster and then some OSU and Texas and Baylor thrown in. I mean, <clears throat> it's hard to think after what they did and how good they were last year, but that you shouldn't see some sort of drop off with the names that have left Oklahoma. But then you look at all these preseason teams and wonder, like, are they? Is that really going to happen? What, what, they might lose one one more game than last year based off of these expectations. Right. Like, just if if for those who just kind of think about Oklahoma last year, how do you how do you compare this year's Suitors team to to the incredible team that was last year? So you you lose. To me, several key components, right? Obviously, the the one that jumps out to so many is Jocelyn Allo, the all-time home run queen in college softball history. Um, but whenever I step back, I see defensive foundational pieces at the corner. Jana Johns, Taylor Snow, two transfers that emerged as defensive stalwarts for them. Uh, Snow at first, Johns at third. And those are hard to me to replace. And I had a hope Trout one in there, right, who came in from North Texas, didn't know how much she would pitch. And didn't really pitch a ton. And then all of a sudden you get later in the season, Jordy Ball gets hurt, and you're not winning a national championship without her. So, you know, you lose those, you know, four to five key pieces. And what do you do? Well, you've got 12 returners. And of those 12, I mean, I I think I've, I've said it, maybe I'm getting a little bit too over my skis, but I said, well, those 12 can, returners, all 12 have contributed. Well, you know, maybe not necessarily in the case of, you know, Quincy Lilio and their 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 third string catcher, but they're 12 top prospects, right? And of those 12 that are back, 10 of them were major contributors. I mean, major contributors, right? So you have 12 people on a 20-person roster that are back. You then bring in eight newcomers. Four of those are among the top recruits in the country, and the other four are among the top transfers in the country. So, you know, that's that's how you're able to maintain some momentum, right? Most teams would lose an Alo, a Snow, a Johns, and a Troutwine, and they would have a step or two back. Let's add that you had, you know, two to three players that retired from the sport too. Um, and again, these weren't major players, but they were personnel that Patty Gasso and Jen Roach and JT Gasso had counted on to help them out in the future. So somehow you have the two-time defending champs who come back with a roster that might be stronger than last year when you consider that you still have Jada Coleman in center field, you know, up there with the best center fielders, not just in the big 12, but in the country, you bring back, I mean, the top power hitter in the, in the country now in, in Tiare Jennings, you add a, you know, fifth year starter at shortstop and Grace Lyons, who's the team's captain. Um, your replacement at first base was the PAC 12 freshman of the year and your replacement at third base was in the outfield last year starting for you, and now she moves, Brito does, to third more natural. Um, you bring back your starting right fielder. Your catcher is back healthy after being injured most of the year. And, oh, yeah, with the freshman of the year in the circle, you're adding a healthy Nicole May and maybe the top pitching transfer on the market in Alex Straka. I mean, it's it's a wealth of talent. Now, 
what happens when adversity hits, right? What happens if they struggle a little bit? Does, does the, the, the Sooners use this term a lot, the championship mindset? Do they stay together? Does it fracture? Do you become more individual? That's that's going to be interesting. And how does that young core that might not play a lot, but is going to be counted on, you know, in the next couple of years, how do you keep them happy? How do you keep the um, Jocelyn Erickson, who comes in as one of the top freshmen in the country, how do you keep her happy? Knowing in two to three years, She's it. She's your biggest deal on this roster. How do you make sure that a Quincy Lilio, how do you make sure that a Hannah Core, a Sophia Nugent get their opportunities? That roster balance is going to be fascinating this year to see how Patty Gasso makes it work. And um, they're, I mean, I can't think of any other way to put it except Philip. They're just, they're really good. Um, and in all the holes, they went out and they brought in people that are not just good, um, but might be even a, a skosh better. Not, not, not than Jocelyn Otto, not the Jocelyn <laughs> but I mean, Brito and, and Sidney Sanders at the corners, come on. So it's, and Haley Lee, who's learning how to play outfield again to try to get in this mix. So there, I, I could talk about them all day long. I mean, obviously I cover their games and I've been their play-by-play guy since 2016. Um, but you're coming off a, a team that had been talked about last year as the greatest team in the history of college softball. Right. Mm-hmm. It's up there with some of those Arizona and UCLA teams. And from a roster on paper perspective, this team looks better. Now you got to go out and prove it. And it's as challenging of a schedule as Oklahoma has ever had. Oh, I mean, you in your opening weekend, you've got Duke, Stanford, Washington. Uh, you've got two games against Kentucky at home. You've got AM on the schedule, uh, two games at Mississippi State. Like they, yeah. OU doesn't hold back from schedule. And I'll, I'll say this the, the Big 12 does not hold back. From scheduling, right. some of these tournaments are incredible. Like that, you see, I'm. Oh, that the, the Clearwater oh, man. tournament. I know Oklahoma's not playing in it. I mean, that's that's must attend. Yeah, you've got to go there. It's, on my it's awesome. List. Um, yeah, Mary Nutter. Look at all the teams of the Mary Nutter out in out in um, Palm Springs, California. Must attend. Um, it it's softball does its non conference right now. The problem is, you know, I think ESPN is growing in its coverage of it. I mean, they've been incredible for softball, but. Uh, and they, they're putting a lot of resources in Clearwater, and I appreciate that. But, you know, you, I think we need to start getting some of those ESPN cameras out to, out to Palm Springs. And I know it's not cheap, but get some of them out to um, these different areas because there's more than just the, the Clearwater St. Pete. There's some big-time non-conference matchups. And, by the way, you mentioned the tournaments, understand or, it's classics, however they want to be phrased. But let me throw one more thing in there. You know, Oklahoma's got midweek non-conference games this year against Florida State and LSU. Florida State's coming to Norman. Oklahoma's going to Baton Rouge. So even in the middle of conference play, they're they're challenging themselves quite a bit this year. Absolutely. Look, I, I'm always torn on the, like, I'm glad Flow Sports is providing coverage of things. I just don't love that I have to pay for there, the Flow Sports. So I will say this. what A, it's it's way overpriced. Mm-hmm. If, if, I would, if I were to have a seat at the table at Flow Sports – I'm like, quit gouging sports fans for the type of quality of your broadcast. It's unfair and it's wrong. But on the second side of it, I think they're doing a better job of bringing in people that know the sport, right? As somebody who has been in in, in radio since I started my career, you know, I if someone said, it's like, hey, we'll give you 150 bucks to come call this game. I'm like, what sport is it? I've never done that. I'll give it a try. I need 150 bucks. And I feel like that's what they've done with some of their play-by-play people at, at Flow Sports. But as they progress, I think the ranking in people that saw or I know uh, Mendez is going to do some games for them. Good. Um, they've got some better broadcasters. So that's at least one step in the right direction. But 
all of these streaming entities that do these events, stop treating them like a boxing pay-per-view. Let's make these affordable for at least what it would cost to get in the gate. And that's just, it's not 99 bucks to get in the gate to watch these games. No, I agree. I agree. And that's been the biggest issue is just costs. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's with everything else you've got to pay for in life, it's, it's hard to justify that much for these things. That's why I, that's why I don't subscribe. And if you're going to tell, if, if you're going to tell me that it's the, the, the cost of the production, that's fine. I don't want any commercials, right? If I'm paying $99 and you're going to tell me that, oh, well, that's to pay for all the production. Well, then what are these spots for? What are these other advertisers for? It's um, it's it's a true gouging of the sport. I don't like the model, um, but I understand it. Yeah. You know, it's and, and fans are going to pay it because they love the sport. Yeah. Uh, very excited about Clearwater. Obviously, Oklahoma State will be there, as will UCF, um, two teams that will also face each other later in the season in Stillwater. And look, OSU had by far their best season. They win the Big 12 tournament last year. They get to just one win away from the championship three-game series against Oklahoma. Uh, Could have been there. Yeah. I, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That, 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 <laughs> yeah. We, want, we don't want to talk about that. Um <laughs> But you look at this team, they lost a lot last year. They bring a good chunk back. Primarily, I mean, <laughs> can I can I argue the best pitcher in, in college softball right now? Is that a fair state to say about Kelly Maxwell about is Maxwell? the best pitcher in college softball. Okay. Her, her and Jordy, we've got two of them in the Big 12, Kelly Maxwell and Jordy Ball. Mm-hmm. you got the two best pitchers in college softball in this league, yeah. And you, you get I don't think there's even a five. two more seasons of Maxwell as has now been confirmed by both Kayaski and, 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 and OSU. I mean, for Oklahoma state coming off of last season, how, how do you set realistic expectations? Because I, I do think that team was good, was as good as the run was, especially at the end of the year. They, 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 and losing, I'm drawing blanks on names, but losing the uh, pitcher that they had, who was also a good hitter who got injured. And so she didn't pitch anymore. And so you had other people coming to step in. I'm, I'm Yeah. The Texas, I think her name all um, the time too. Texas, Texas transfer, Oregon transfer. Yeah. Like how do you, as an OSU fan, you're, you're maybe you're, you're just starting to pay attention to Oklahoma state softball because of what they did last year. How do you set your expectations for the cowgirls this year? They, um, I was trying to pull my notes up on this quickly. They, um, they lost 14 players from last year's team and they've got 14 newcomers coming in. <laughs> uh, that's, that's wild to me. They lost 12 position players. Miranda Ellis is who we're we thinking go. of. Thank you. 12 position <laughs> players and um, two pitchers. And I think Ellis is listed in those pitchers and she got hurt and wasn't even really pitching uh, near the end. And, you know, names like Chelsea Alexander, um, Haley, Haley Busby, you know, who was, um, I really liked Haley Busby a lot. You, a uh, Sydney Pennington. Oh my gosh, man. Sydney Pennington was one of my favorite players, but so frustrating to be on the other side of because <laughs> you knew she was going to make plays and she's an Oklahoma girl. She was from Sand Springs. I said this about Oklahoma state last year, Philip. I feel the same way this year. I think they'll struggle a little bit early on. But Kitty Gajewski's teams get better as the season progresses. So you see them as what, like two, three in most of the, the preseason polls. And it was kind of like last year, right? They play such a challenging schedule, man. And with so many newcomers, it's going to take a little bit of time for it to all mesh. Um, but in the players returning, Kylie Naomi, who I really like a lot, smooth defender, does a little bit of everything um, at the plate. Cheyenne Factor 
Um, we'll see if Taylor Top can be a little bit more consistent and take over consistently behind the plate. I think I think they're really good. And listen, you want to talk about Kelly Maxwell, and you and I agree, you know, if not the best, one of the best pitchers in the country. You had Lexi Kilfoyle, who transferred in from Alabama, um, and Kenny Gajewski has kind of created transfer for you. But even at times last year, you know, you're walking, watching them make the run, and it's Oklahoma girls, right? It's girls that he brought in from Oklahoma, not OU, but the state of Oklahoma, and they really helped to, to make them as special as they are. Realistic expectations for me for Oklahoma State is, is a World Series and a run and to contend again for the Big 12 championship. But I think it's going to be a tough start. And I've thought this every year for Oklahoma State because there is so much new. And, you know, you'll throw Kelly Maxwell a lot, but I do think they'll work to foil in. I think with Oregon going through the slate, that's in Puerto Vallarta, which is an incredibly well-run event. But you're traveling to Mexico to start the season. And you get Missy Lombardi in Oregon. You've got to deal with a very interesting Texas A&M team. Like, what do you make of Texas A&M? Uh, Michigan's on their schedule this season. But I think by the time we get to, like, March, early March, I think they're going to be really good. Um, and, again, he's done a hell of a job. And John Barkfeld's done a hell of a job with their pitching staff. That's a really, really fun team. And, you know, if you go to Stillwater, uh, they have created a true home field environment. I mean, it is rocking there. They've got the deck out in left field. I think Kenny had told me that someone actually built that yes. for them, yeah. which is wild. So it's a it's a cool environment. They're going to be good. Um, but again, I've I've for, for Oklahoma State fans, my charge has always been: hey, don't get too carried away with that preseason ranking, right? Not not to say you don't deserve it, but those are some tough games. And they're you know two or three losses. Suddenly, everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with them? Well, that's what this team does. Go back. And look at last year, and the next thing you know, they're they're playing potentially for a national championship. So Oklahoma State's good. It just might take them a little bit to mesh. And again, Kenny's gone out and done a great job in the transfer portal. And they had a they had a three game losing streak in Clearwater, uh, and two of them they got just blasted in. And it's just so did so did Texas. They just so did Texas yeah, last year. Like OSU challenges themselves so much in that. And the, your first your first like eight, Oregon, North Carolina, Maryland, Ole Miss, A and M, Nebraska, Virginia Tech, Louisiana, and Michigan. Yeah, a lot of potential tournament teams in there. You know, a lot, lot of preseason conference favorites in there too. Um, but I, I would say, you know, regardless of how anyone feels about, you know, losing early season games, I think some coaches don't mind it. I think sometimes it's because, hey, you get a chance to bounce back quickly. You got to play like 10 minutes later usually. And secondly, it gets their attention. So you don't ever want to go over. But you look back at the early season struggles for Oklahoma State last year and the early season struggles for Texas last year, they were the better they were the better teams late because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at challenging yourself. If you've got a good roster, then challenging yourself is is important for development. Uh, Chris, you have been great. We listed off I don't know how many games I cannot wait to see. I am excited for Clearwater because all that stuff's on ESPN and ESPN Plus, and that's all that will be on the TV for five <laughs> days is just it's here. softball on. Uh, do me a favor for everybody wants to check out all the work you do covering the Sooners and, uh, and big 12, where can they do so? Yeah. Uh, at plank show is my Twitter account. Give me a follow. I'm constantly tweeting where I am. We got big 12 radio on Sirius XM channel 375 and the fastest growing podcast in all of college basketball, Midwest madness with our producer, Robbie Triano. I know you're a big fan of that, Philip. And it's, um, it's a fun, it's a fun show to preview all things and talk all things big 12 and, uh, yeah, Sirius XM every Saturday morning on Channel 84 from 8 to 11 Central Time. 
Uh, I'm doing a college show now, and it's um, it's going to be fun. So I appreciate it. If you guys are uh, interested in OU softball, Soonersports.com has all the scheduling needs you want. And I do a daily show. Like I'm, I'm representing the ref uh, from 9 to noon, so you can find that on my Twitter feed at Plank Show. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Chris, it's always a pleasure to start off softball season by, by hearing your voice and having you on. You are as uh, passionate and knowledgeable about college softball and baseball softball as anybody. That's not – no, no, this is a good thing. Good. <laughs> Sometimes obsession is a positive thing. Chris, appreciate it, man. And uh, this year, I promise, we're not going to wait till the start of next year to get, back, get you back on. We got we to gotta hit it up mid-season. Yeah. Call anytime, man. I appreciate it. Sports Social Podcast Network.